You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Rachel and Gabby's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 294. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Got an unbelievable episode for you today with Cam Ayala from Hannah Brown's season of The Bachelorette and also Bachelor in Paradise season six. You've probably seen his story in the news for the last one or two weeks. Apparently none of Hannah Brown's guys did, but you've probably seen it by now. He had a right leg amputation. We talk about all that. We talk about the after effects, a lot of stuff to get to, including some very disappointing news uh, regarding the surgery that he had. We'll get to that momentarily. So got some spoiler notes to get to and then some programming notes for you. First off, if you didn't see yesterday on my Twitter feed and my Instagram stories, the final six couples for Bachelor in Paradise this season, I revealed their statuses. Two broke up, two left the beach together, and two are engaged. It's on my website today as well at realitysteve.com. So if you don't have to go back and look at my Twitter, you can just go on my feed today and check that out at realitysteve.com and just update you there. Obviously, this doesn't start till September 27th. You basically know 80, 85, 90% of the stuff that happens on this season that I've given you. So as probably we get closer to that season, I don't think I'm going to be revealing too much Bachelor in Paradise stuff from now until September 27th. As we get closer, I will. But now you've got all your couples, which is pretty much the thing that everyone wants to know. Obviously, people are asking, well, what about this couple and what happened to them? I mean, they're not together. Those final six were the last six there and what happened to them. So... Other ones like, you know, the twins and and Shanae, obviously they don't leave as couples. Um, Mara, Florence from Bachelorette in Bachelor in Paradise, Australia. Andrew and Desenia, none of those are are couples. Uh, the, The final six were, you know, I mean, to go over them briefly, real quick, in case you don't want to go look or you don't want to go read. Aaron and Genevieve broke up. Logan Palmer, who is on the upcoming Gabby and Rachel season, he was with Kate Gallivan. They broke up. Kate was on Clayton's season. Tyler Norris, who finishes fourth on Rachel's season, or Rachel's side of this upcoming season, he uh, left as a couple with Brittany Galvin. I also heard that they were together two nights ago in New Jersey. Michael Aleo from Katie's season. He left as a couple with Danielle Malpe, who was on Nick's season, and she, she was on Paradise a couple times. And then Johnny DiFilippo, who is finished fourth on Gabby's side. He left engaged with Victoria Fuller. And then Brandon Jones, who finished second on Michelle's season, is engaged to Serene Russell, who finished fourth on Clayton's season. So the pictures are there. If you need to go pictures, they're on my Twitter account. Go check that out. Obviously, The Bachelorette starts on Monday. I gave you stuff during filming. I haven't given you a lot since then because I don't know a lot. I mean, if I had it, I'd give it to you. I don't have it. I don't have the ending. 
Uh, I don't have some solid confirmation on, um, you, you know who the final four are for each girl, or three of the four for Gabby and all four of the men for Rachel. You know that Tino and um, Zach are Rachel's final two. And we know that Johnny, Eric, and Jason are three of Gabby's final four. And we know that Johnny finished fourth. So that's the farthest I've gotten you with. So you know Rachel's final two, and you know two of Gabby's final three. That's all I got. And who knows when I'm going to get it, if I'll get the ending of this season. I mean, this isn't really any different than Peter's season, where I didn't have the ending until the very last weekend. Um, same with Clayton season, didn't have the ending till the very last weekend. So, um, you know, I mean, I know I'm expected to have the ending four seconds after the, you know, it filmed, but it just doesn't happen. It's not realistic. It hasn't been that way. And I don't know why, well, I kind of know why I'm being held to that standard, but you know, there are, there have been plenty of seasons where I haven't had the ending when the, when the first episode aired and a lot of them have been in recent seasons. So I think people just have a short-term memory uh, when it comes to that. And when I have it, I will give it to you. There's nothing to hold on to here. I don't know the ending. Have I heard things? Sure. I've heard that Rachel's engaged to Tino. I've also heard that Rachel's engaged to Zach. So obviously she can't be engaged to both of them. So I'm just trying to, you know, weed through what information is right and what isn't. And we'll go from there. Uh, As for Gabby, don't know who uh, she's with. Um, I can't tell you this, and this isn't speculation or guessing. This is just straight fact. We've had 18 seasons of The Bachelorette. And in one of those seasons, we had two Bachelorettes, Claire and Tasha. So we've had 19 Bachelorettes get to that final day or final decision day, whatever you want to call it. Final rose ceremony. Claire didn't technically have a final rose ceremony. But 19 Bachelorettes had the opportunity to get one man And they all did. And 19 women have been proposed to on this show. They're 19 for 19 in getting an engagement. Now, one of them rejected it. Jen Sheft uh, rejected Jerry Ferris back in, what was she, Bachelorette number four or five, whatever that was, maybe six. But every single Bachelorette has been proposed to. Do we really think that on the first two Bachelorette season that neither gets proposed to or one of them gets their man and the other one just leaves and has to just sit there and watch the other one be happy. I mean, come on. I don't think it's very far-fetched to think that both Rachel and and Gabby got engaged this season. Have I specifically been told? No, but I don't think you're going out on a limb here to say that I, I would be stunned if both of these women weren't engaged at the end of this season. It's just... Come on. It's their first two Bachelorette season all the way through. It only makes sense. And like I said, every single Bachelorette has gotten an engagement at the end. And 18 of the 19 accepted that engagement. So probably getting Rachel and Gabby as both engaged women at the end of this thing. And you know you know who the choices are. You got a 50-50 shot to be right for Rachel and you got a 33% shot to be right for Gabby. So, you can take that for what it's worth. Other than that, um, you know, hearing things throughout the season, um, little things here and there, the stuff that I gave you during the season is all is all out there. What I'm going to do is, um, it, I used to get access to the first episode of the season. You know that. I would just 
reveal the whole first episode, but that hasn't been, ha- I haven't had access to the first episode in about three or four seasons now because they changed the way they release it. And, um, I haven't had access to it. So if I get some information about the first episode, I'll post it on Monday, uh, Monday morning. And then we'll kind of go from there. Um, and I'll, and I'll probably recap everything that I did spoil because I know a lot of you that listened to me today, maybe have listened for the last three months or followed me for the last three months. You got to understand you are very much the minority of my audience. My audience is coming back on Monday, 80 to 90% of them. So everything I post on Monday is going to probably be a repeat, uh, for you that have been there since Clayton season ended that, you know, the, the twists and turns, you know, who the final four are and all that stuff. So yeah. So keep that in mind. Come Monday, I'm just going to kind of re recap uh, of what I gave people all season long and what people can expect going into this season. I don't have an episode by episode breakdown. You know, I kind of know how far certain guys get, but do I have all 32 men I think it was 32 men. No, I don't have all 32, but I, you know, pretty much have an idea of who made it to the travel part of the show um, because the show gives that away in the promos. So not that hard to figure out. So I will give you what I have. A lot of it will be repeated uh, from stuff that I've given you over the last three months. And we just kind of go from there. And when I find out who Rachel is with and who Gabby is with, I uh, I will let you know. The other thing, programming note, if you are just getting back into things and you haven't been paying attention the last couple weeks, starting on Monday, on this feed, I will have a daily podcast. It's basically going to cover, it's going to start with anything Bachelor Nation related, then go into maybe some pop culture stuff, and then, depending on time, maybe give, you know, my thoughts on sports stuff, since that's my background. However... I don't want to have any episode to go over really 20 minutes. So if I had a lot of Bachelor Nation stuff, there's probably going to be less pop culture stuff and probably no sports stuff. It's all dependent on that day's news. But on a daily podcast, I'm going to try and fill 20 minutes every day. And um, that'll start on Monday. So get ready for that. And then the only other thing is, this is kind of on the technical side, but um, switching over where I upload my podcast doesn't affect you guys at all the 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 um commercials during past episodes might be a little wonky um in terms of when they air and they might be cutting off in the middle of a sentence or something like that we're going to try and get that fixed but for the most part we should be good but i can tell you that um starting next week if you listen to any podcast released from december 2021 through when I started, back through December 2016, the episode will probably start with an ad and not the music. For all of 2022, no. They'll all start with music, and going forward, they will all start with music. But when we change systems and go and upload everything, it just... Like I said, it's technical stuff. doesn't really affect you much, but um, just want to let you know that probably going to hear a little more ads in the episodes starting next week and some will be host read by me and some will be just where you hear like a commercial play a 30 second commercial so just be prepared for that and that's all really on the podcast side but yeah i'm excited monday is going to start and monday i'm guessing monday's podcast is going to be very 
bachelor centric, bachelorette centric since it premieres on Monday. And, you know, reminding people about the spoilers for for Paradise. So they want to check those out and just kind of kind of recap the stuff that I have given out. And if I do get any information on, on, on episode one, that'll be coming on Monday. But, um, yeah, looking forward to it. And it's just going to be I haven't gotten a title for it. Maybe like the reality Steve Daly with, with the date next to it. And it's just going to upload. And like I said, no more than 20 minutes. If I have nothing, probably just go 15 but 15 to 20 minutes every day, kind of like a morning news dump in the Bachelor Nation pop culture sports world. And um, I'll, I'll save the sports for last because I know a lot of you, you know, listen to me um, more for my reality TV stuff and my spoilers, which is fine. But I want it, you know, I'm, I have a lot of opinions about sports. It's my life. And I follow sports way more than I follow reality TV. So, um yeah, I'll throw some stuff in there, uh, but it'll always be at the end. I won't start with anything sports related. So that um, that's going to be, like I said, come Monday. It I, Look, the plan is five days a week. Anytime I'm out of town, probably Friday and Monday are going to get bumped. But that's the plan right now. If I take it, if it becomes way too overwhelming for me, especially when the show is on, I might just do Monday, Wednesday, Friday because Tuesday I have my column and Thursday I have my, my regular podcast. My regular Thursday podcast isn't going anywhere, by the way, if I didn't make that clear. This is just going to be an addition, a daily podcast. My regular Thursday podcast will always be there, an interview with you know somebody. And then on the occasion of doing you know a reader email podcast and whatnot. But that's not changing. I'm just adding a daily podcast because I want to do some more work want to see if we can uh, expand this even more and, and kind of go from there. So before we get started, I got a couple sponsors for you today's podcast. Going back to Green Chef. Guys, you got to love Green Chef. Certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating easy, well-planned, fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking for more well-balanced meals. Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences it makes cooking easy. All these recipes are 25 to 30 minutes. So you know me. I hate cooking. Hate it. Like, despise it with a passion. But Green Chef has made it actually easy for me. Do I get a little help sometimes making it? Sure. Because, um, just because I am so incapable of doing anything in the kitchen. But Green Chef, so easy. You avoid the long lines at the grocery store. It's convenient. It's pre-portioned. Easy to follow recipes. Easy for me. And that's saying a lot. And it's delivered right to your door. They save you time by taking care of meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep work that you do week after week. They do it for you. So you don't have to do it. Also, like I said, it's been so easy for me. You know what I did on July 4th? Barbecue with the family? No. Green Chef. That's what I did. We made Green Chef, and it was awesome. You got to try the crispy southern chicken. It's probably my favorite dish. The spicy beef and broccoli noodle bowls to die for as well pork with apple and raisins try that one i mean there's so many good ones out there you just got to try it so go to greenchef.com slash reality steve 130 and use code reality steve 130 to get 130 dollars off plus free shipping did you hear that 130 dollars off greenchef.com slash reality steve 130 and use the code reality steve 130 for 130 dollars off plus free shipping that's around 10 
meal, 10 to 12 meals for you. It's highly encouraged. Go to the Green Chef. Please check it out. Like I said, greenchef.com slash realitysteve130 and use code realitysteve130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Our other sponsor this week, you can even have it with your Green Chef meals. New sponsor, Organifi. It's a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients, and it's less than three grams of sugar. All you got to do is take it, put it into your put it into your cup or your thing you take to the gym, whatever you want to do, fill it with water, and you are good to go. Highest quality plant-based ingredients for optimal health. Each blend is science-backed to the craft of the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers when possible. Less can, contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. And it's an easy superfood blend, easy to use. Just mix it with water or your favorite beverage while you're on the go, providing you with quality nutrition throughout your day. I'm telling you, and it tastes great. I'm telling you, it is really good. I'm at a point right now where I've been kind of, uh, you know, slacking off a little bit. I have been going to the gym a lot more uh, recently, but I got in there, wasn't doing it as much as I should have. Now I'm using eating clean and using, you know, Green Chef and Organifi. The Organifi Red Juice, pretty much my favorite. Recharge your mind and body with a delicious superfood berry blend of premium organic superfoods that contain potent aptogens, antioxidants, and clinical dose of cordyceps. 13 superfoods for energy support in a berry superfood drink. 100% USDA certified organic. No caffeine necessary. Just 2 grams of naturally occurring sugar from freeze-dried berries. Energy support. It helps increase my energy. It promotes my energy. I have it before my workout. You can have it after. Either way, you're going to feel a lot better. Go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Steve. For 15% off any item in the store. That's Organifi.com slash RealitySteve. And then use a promo code as well, RealitySteve, for 15% off any item in the store. Now, let's get going. Here we go. This is one of my favorites, and I hope you listen to this one and you learn a few things. It's podcast number 294. All right, let's bring him in. You first saw him on uh, Hannah Brown's season of The Bachelorette, and then on season six of Bachelor in Paradise, it is Cam Ayala. Cam, how you doing? Doing well, Steve. How about yourself, man? I'm doing okay. Um, obviously, you've been through a lot in the last uh, couple weeks, and I wanted to immediately just kind of jump into it because I think some people, if they've followed over the last couple of weeks, you've been in a lot of, of news stories, and some people have an idea of what you went through. Clearly, and I think they're aware now, and maybe they're not, so that's why I want to bring you on. Um, a couple weeks ago, you had your right leg amputated due to lymphedema that you have suffered from for a while now. I think. Am I? I, I, I yeah. I, I uh, basically, I since I was eleven. Since yeah. you were eleven, and so this is something mm-hmm. that was part of your journey when you went on the Bachelorette, and we'll get into the Bachelorette and the TV aspect of it later. But I wanted to kind of get everybody up to date on. Just lymphedema itself. Obviously, I know very little about it, and I so I want to kind of just lay out and let you explain to everybody, like you said, you st- it started when you were 11, but what it is, what you've suffered from, and what led to the decision of, was it 
were you forced to get your right leg amputated or was it just something where I just don't want to deal with any more pain? Just explain every walk everybody through it. Basically, I guess, starting at age 11. Yep. So um, going back to age 11, my family really first knew something was wrong with me when around that age, you know, most boys and girls, they, they start their, their growth spurts and I'm pretty tall. I'm about six, four. So that's when I really started to rapidly grow at age 11. <clears throat> and it was actually after a couple of like YMCA basketball games that the coaches and the parents started to notice that it looked like I was kind of limping up and down the court, uh, especially towards the second half of the season. And so my parents just chalked it up for growing pains. And that was just pretty normal for, for a kid that age. But just to be safe, they took me to an orthopedic doctor and in some initial x-rays, they were able to see pretty quickly that my right leg was about an inch and a half shorter than my left. So that would explain like the lower back pain and the, the limping up and down the court. But then they also noticed on my right knee that there were some black spots that from an x-ray perspective looked like it could have been cancerous. So that's where my surgical journey began is when they went in to do a bone biopsy to take off part of the bone of my right knee just to make sure that it wasn't cancerous. And when the test results came back that it wasn't cancerous, we still spent about a year going to, I want to say about 15 to 16 different specialists in the greater Houston area. And it took about a year to finally get a diagnosis of uh, primary lymphedema. So I'll just to, to your question, you know, what is lymphedema? So high level, we all have our lymphatic system, which runs parallel to our vascular system. And the lymphatic system, one of its main goals is to move this fluid called lymph fluid throughout your whole body, which uh, basically is in correlation with your immune system. So oftentimes you may have heard, you know, when people have sore throats, the doctor or your parents or whoever, they'll feel your your neck and your throat and they say, oh yeah, your lymph nodes are swollen, right? And you actually have lymph nodes all throughout your body. And for me, what happened was um, I was just born with primary lymphedema, which is just a genetic um, mutation where the lymphatic vessels in my body, specifically in my right leg, Uh, do not move the fluid properly. So what does that mean? So then it basically means that from age 11, I started having really bad chronic swelling. So basically picture if you like roll your ankle and you have that temporary like swelling in your ankle, that's basically like having temporary lymphedema, right? Because that fluid fills up. It's really painful. You can't really put much weight on it. So having lymphedema essentially means you have a compromised lymphatic system. And the most common occurrences of lymphedema, which I bet you probably know somebody and just didn't even know that they had it, or maybe they didn't even know they had it, is women who have breast cancer. So when women have breast cancer and they remove lymph nodes surgically or they do any like chemo or or radiation therapy to it, they can establish what's called secondary lymphedema. So in fact, over 35% of breast cancer survivors actually end up establishing lymphedema in their arms. So it's a lot more common than people think. And there's actually 10 million Americans that have lymphedema, which that's a pretty staggering patient population. And uh, in fact, that number is more than patients who have AIDS, MLS, or Parkinson's combined. But it's not really talked about in the medical school setting. So that's why a lot of these doctors 
when they're getting ready to, uh, you know, treat and diagnose patients, it's very difficult for them because in their four years of medical school, they're only getting about 15 to 30 minutes of the entire lymphatic system taught to them. So it's a really big issue, not just in the States, but really all over the world. And so another issue that lymphedema patients have, regardless if it's primary or secondary, beyond having the chronic swelling and the pain involved in that, is that they're prone to chronic episodes of infection. And for me, that's where it really started to turn bad. It was in the year 2014, where I was graduated from college. I was living in Austin, uh, working in advertising, and I had my first bout of infection in that knee joint, which required emergency surgery and having to go through really painful physical therapy, learning how to walk again, being on really strong antibiotics and an IV for eight weeks. So basically from that 2014 till uh, 2020, I had nine different bouts of infection that were all sporadic and random and uh, ended up having 16 surgeries in that time. So after doing 16 surgeries, I thought that getting a total knee replacement last year was going to be my end-all be-all to kind of fix that knee joint that had been so troublesome for the past 20 plus years. So unfortunately, when the orthopedic surgeon did my knee replacement last year, he put in the wrong size hardware and positioned it wrong on the bone. So I was like killing myself in physical therapy, trying to rehab and recover and get my mobility back, but it just, it never happened. And so um, when I decided to get a second opinion in March of this year, very quickly, we were able to see in the x-rays that not only was the hardware position wrong and the wrong size, that it had actually come off of the bone, which would explain this excruciating pain that I've been having for really the past year. And so at that point, after seeing about six different orthopedic surgeons all across the US, uh, the consensus was is that if I did a revision, that would require three more surgeries and it wasn't guaranteed to fix the root cause, or I could be a little bit more radical with the uh, selected uh, above knee amputation. So having gone through those 16 surgeries, I was kind of tapped out and I knew that if I had an infection in the future with that new hardware in there, that my residual limb for the inevitable amputation would become even shorter than what it is now. So wanting to, pun intended, count my losses or cut my losses, I decided to go forward with the above knee amputation, which took place last Wednesday, the 22nd of June. Yeah. And obviously we've seen the stories that have covered that. And I, you know, I can't imagine I mean, that many knee surgeries over a span of seven-ish years and mm-hmm. the pain that you went through. Um, I did see an interview that you did leading up to the surgery where, you know, there was some trepidation, but more along the lines of, you know, the pain associated with it. So, you know, going into it, was it was it scary? Was it something you're like, look, I, I know I have to do this, but it's still kind of freaking me out here or now that this is, you know, once it's been done, are you like in the clear of something like this? Can it, can it fester in your other leg at some point? Or like I said, I'm not very up to date on this, how it works. Yeah. Can it now form in your other leg or no? So yeah, I'll, I'll kind of break down those multiple questions there. So I think there's very much a, a blessing, but also, um, some fear associated with a planned amputation 
you know, the, the pros and cons of it is that for a pro, you get to prepare physically. So I spent the past two months just really getting in the best shape of my life so I could prepare to basically be using a lot of my upper body strength for the next couple of months as I wait to get my prosthetic leg fabricated. Cause that's something that I learned throughout the process too. That doesn't just happen overnight or over a span of a couple of weeks. It's, it's a pretty long process. Yeah. So getting to do the research on all of that, getting to talk to other male amputee patients, my age and getting to see how their journeys have been was also very therapeutic, but as you can imagine, there also came a lot of sleepless nights, just knowing what was was to come, right? And amputation is a pretty major surgery, and there's no no reversing it, right? Once once the surgery's done, you, you don't get to grow another leg or another arm back. It, it's gone forever. Yeah. So there was a lot of fear in that part of the decision, and then the also uh, I guess probably even a larger fear is the fear of the unknown. And, and to answer your question about the lymphedema that progressing over to my left leg. Uh, absolutely, that is a possibility. Um, but one of the things I did before my surgery uh, is I went to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to have one of their top interventional radiologists do some imaging, basically mapping out my entire lymphatic system and my entire body. That way, the surgical team in Houston could have a really good kind of GPS as to where to make the, the cut for the amputation but also keeping in mind short-term and long-term uh, progression of the disease. Because unfortunately, there is no cure for lymphedema currently, and it is a progressive disease. So though a lot of people have, have questioned and commented like, oh, okay, your leg's gone, so the lymphedema's gone. No, um, I'll still have some swelling in my residual limb that will need to be compressed in a custom garment. Um, but hopefully that will improve just the overall swelling symptoms and now that that knee joint is gone that had all the hardware and all the episodes of infection you know we're really hopeful and optimistic that that will eliminate those episodes of reoccurring infections but still something i have to monitor pretty closely as you know the six month one year and, and two year markers hit just to have a team in place to make sure we're all staying on top of it and, and doing the right imaging and making sure nothing alarming is, is popping up you know, one of the things that has also come about through all this is you have developed quite a relationship with uh, Oscar winning and Emmy winning actress Kathy Bates, which is just, you know, it kind of ran, you know, you know, Cam from The Bachelorette is really good friends with Kathy Bates, who is a well-respected actress uh, in the industry. And like I said, Oscar winning, Emmy winning. Uh, can you tell us that how that all came about with, with Kathy? Yeah. Yeah, so it was actually about three years ago, and it was literally two days after I got sent home from the Bachelorette. Um, I was in a pretty depressed state, as you can imagine, because, A, I couldn't really talk to my friends and family about what happened uh, out there because, you know, you're under the NDA and can't really talk until your, your season airs. And I knew what happened, which I know we'll talk a little bit here shortly as to why I got eliminated. Yeah. But I was really struggling with depression and like trying to reacclimate with this quote unquote, like real reality. Cause when you're out there, I was out there for about three weeks in total between um, the, after the final rose appearance and then being out there for two weeks in the competition. But when I finally came home, um, there was a, a call that I received from a gentleman whose name is Bill Rapizzi, who's the CEO of a global nonprofit called LEARN, and that's just an acronym for Lymphatic Education and Research Network. 
And apparently somebody in the lymphedema community had caught word that I was going to be on the season of the bachelorette and knew that I had had lymphedema, which I still don't know how that person knew because if you were to go on any of my social media accounts, I never talked about my lymphedema before the show. It was something I always kind of like hid and was never really public about. Definitely not an ambassador. But anyway, so Bill had invited me to a breast cancer conference in Dallas, Texas that weekend. And I was living in Austin at the time and I really didn't want to go, but I figured, you know, it would be good for me to like go see something positive. And so Bill told me that there was someone special giving the keynote speech who wanted to meet me that night. And when I get there to the conference in Dallas, um, it was actually Kathy Bates giving the keynote speech. And as she's doing her little introduction, she starts telling the story of this little boy who had all these surgeries and almost lost his leg due to his lymphedema. And like immediately, as soon as she said that, I'm like, wow, she's telling my story. And then she said, Cam Ayala, if you're here, can you please stand up? And so she gave me that little introduction, got the standing ovation from all the surgeons and oncologists and cancer survivors. So that was really the moment that I felt called to being an ambassador and being an advocate for lymphedema patients. And so later that evening is when I had dinner with, with Kathy and we really just got to be great friends after that because we both share the same struggles of, of battling with our lymphedema. Hers is in her arms because of her breast cancer battle. Mine's in my leg because I was born with lymphedema. So we both realized that we have this unique opportunity and platform to bring awareness to a disease that affects, like I said, over 10 million Americans. So that's kind of how our relationship started and just stayed in touch over the years. And she's been incredibly supportive uh, leading up to my surgery. Um, and we did a, an interview with People Magazine and, and talked about that on there too. And then she's just been texting me every day, checking in on me as she's on set filming a, a movie in Ireland right now. So having her send me flowers and just inspirational text messages uh, it's just been a really awesome relationship that's grown over time. Yeah, that's really cool, especially since, based on the way you told the story, when she was the speaker and started speaking to everybody and you were there, you had never even spoken to her at that point. She told no, your story without no. even having met you or or spoken to you before. Exactly. So I was definitely initially like really starstruck because, you know, grew up, I've seen Titanic and Waterboy and even have nightmares from misery from misery yeah. kind of have an inside yeah i have an inside joke with her and i said man lymphedema really is misery and we need to do a photo shoot with my amputated leg and you with the sledgehammer and her wearing yeah. your compression arm sleeves and like, yeah lymphedema does cause misery so we'll see if we can make that happen but um but but she's just been like an awesome support system and and it's more like a sister to me just because we have the same disease and we work for the same nonprofit and we're just so blessed to be able to impact that many people's lives. Yeah, no, that's great that you guys have, have partnered, uh, like you said, with that. And, you know, you are now, I guess you, would you consider yourself now a, a, a spokesperson, national spokesperson for, for learn lymphatic education and research network? Are you in well, that so group now? Well, so I'm, I'm technically like my, my title for, for those kinds of appearances is ambassador because mm. we only have one national spokesperson, which is Kathy and, and rightfully so she's been doing it for 10 years. I've only been doing it for about three years now and she has a lot more star power than I do. But, um, but actually my, my official title with learn is I'm the director of development and, and also marketing. So that's my, my day to day with them. 
Gotcha. Okay, so that makes that makes sense. But the fact that you are now, you know, leaned into this and, you know, you are going to speak on this, it's going to – I'm sure that you – and we'll get to this in a, in a little bit, but I, I just know that the good that you're doing for this and bringing awareness to it and speaking out on it is going to – the, the bringing of awareness to it is going to affect a lot of people in a, in a positive way. And that's, you know, as someone who went through it and, um, you know, still I mean, going through it. <laughs> yeah. And still going through it. I, I mean, I'll ask you right now, since it, this has become public over the last couple of weeks and people know that you've gone through the yep. amputation, how many people who either didn't talk about it publicly or whatever the case may be, people who suffer from lymphedema have reached out to you and thanked you for, documenting your journey oh man steve it's been unbelievable the the amount of outreach that i've gotten on my facebook and instagram and and other lymphedema support groups and just like on linkedin people are sharing the entertainment tonight the us weekly like all these major media publications that have picked up my story over the past week and a half like even the mere fact that they have my disease lymphedema in the headline of of the articles is like such a huge win for me but also for the lymphedema patients because unfortunately all my time on the bachelorette my i guess coming out with lymphedema that whole situation was stolen from me and uh just me mentioning it on the reunion shows like the live tapings and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more shortly, but they just edited out any mentioning of lymphedema. And still to this day, I just, I don't know why they felt it was appropriate to do that because when you go through the casting process or when you just watch the show as a fan, you know that every single season, every single individual contestant, whether you're on the bachelor bachelorette has a backstory that makes us unique. Mm -hmm. Right. And lymphedema was my thing because it's something that I've dealt with most of my life it's something that i've lost girlfriends over in the past because they weren't prepared to be a caretaker for me when i was undergoing these sporadic surgeries so i actually did talk to hannah brown about that on the the tailgate episode and unfortunately what was aired was just this long discombobulated story that chronologically didn't make sense and it just made it sound like this last ditch effort of me telling this sob story to hannah so that she would keep me around they didn't even mention lymphedema at all. So all the people who were, you know, affected with this disease, they just, it was a missed opportunity for them to have representation. And I know now with how the show is and how the network is and just our society in general about being hypersensitive about people who are in a minority group or who have a disability, I just feel that in 2019, I was just completely disrespected and disregarded. And I had to suffer that coming home and having a lot of PTSD and having to go to therapy and come to terms with, I'm not who the edit says I was or portrayed me to be, but this coming of age of, of now having the amputation and having positive media for once has just been such a blessing. And I know there's still a lot of my story that's yet to be lived and a lot more inspiration that can be drawn from my journey. And I'm just a glad to be having this conversation with you, Steve, with your reach and your audience, but, really just Bachelor Nation in general who may have saw me as this one type of persona or character. Hopefully they'll get to see the real me uh, after this and, and reading other pieces that have been published over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the biggest things that I've always said in, in terms of my podcast and the, and the contestants on this show is 
everybody's got a story. And it's just, you know, when you go on this show, a lot depends on how long you last. And obviously, if you last longer, we know more about you. But everyone's got a story. Maybe some people's store backstories are more interesting than others. Clearly, yours is one of the more interesting backstories. But we never got to see it. And that's why I've always, you know, used my podcast you know, before I before when I could get Bachelor contestants on whenever I wanted. Now I can't basically get anybody on that's, uh, you know, recent on the show because the show just doesn't allow it. And they, they put them on their own, you know, podcasts. But essentially, I, I just I've always said, like, everyone's got a story. And this show, because we only get two hours a week of an edited program and they have so many contestants that they have to focus on, some stories don't get out there. And that's what I've always used this as a, as a way to get to know contestants better but when you were talking about your amputation you did mention about a prosthetic and is that something that was a choice of no I I don't necessarily have to get one or is it kind of for all amputees now it's definitely something that you just want because it makes it I guess easier on your upper body I mean you technically could have gone without one right but it just makes it easier for you to get a prosthetic I mean, yeah, it really is up to the individual, right? And, and you know, sadly, it kind of depends on their insurance. Fortunately, I have a really good insurance policy. Yeah. Um, but some people, too, especially if they skew older or a little bit heavier, uh, they don't want to go the prosthetic route because it requires a lot of physical therapy and, and training to learn how to walk normal again. And there's even a period where you have to use crutches. Currently, I mean, I've used pretty much every different type of crutch between walkers, their standard crutches. And then now for the first time, I'm using forearm crutches because it's just a better upper body workout. And uh, I can still maneuver in those pretty well. But it takes, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it's a process to get the prosthetic leg. And I'm getting a really nice one that actually has a microprocessor. So it's a robotic leg. I I joke and say I'll be the $6 million cam (laughs) instead of $6 million man. Because I'm going to have this awesome uh, leg that, uh, you know, when I'm charging my phone at night, I'll be charging my leg right next to it because it's, it's robotic and it, it, it understands my walking pattern. And if I start to stumble, it can help catch me. Um, just really advanced technology. And, and it takes about two months to, to get that fabricated. And I, I can't even get fitted for it yet because the surgical site uh, still has the stitches and stuff and that has to heal before I go through the casting process to get the, the prosthesis uh, going. So what is the pain level at right now? I mean, how do you feel physically after getting this done? <laughs> well, coming from someone who's had chronic pain really for the past eight years, just because of all the surgeries. And then specifically last year was a living hell living with that wrong hardware and trying to muscle through everything. But now, postoperatively, um, it's a different kind of pain. You may have heard this term, fan pain or phantom, or phantom sensation, where basically you have really sharp pain in the extremity that was amputated. So like right now, like as we speak right now, my right heel feels like it's on fire, like it sucks. And so um, hmm. it's just something that you have to deal with. Uh, every patient's a little bit different and in terms of how long the phantom pain is and, and the severity of it, but hopefully mine will go away within the next you know month or so as the surgical site continues to heal and I get my, my prosthetic leg because um, the surgery that I had was actually an eight-hour surgery. We had an orthopedic oncologist who just did the amputation, which that part was pretty straightforward, 
But for the remaining five and a half hours of surgery, we had a plastic surgeon who went in there and got all my main nerves, like my sciatic nerve and uh, the other main nerves, and basically connected them to the muscle tissue in my uh, in my hamstring and in my quad. So that way those those nerves aren't just free floating and you get really bad neuropathy and nerve pain when they're just free floating. But when they're connected to a muscle, when they start to contract and the muscle contracts, then it can eliminate that pain. So right now it sucks post-operatively, I'm not gonna lie, because like even the very strong pain medicine they gave me doesn't really work for me anymore just because I've had so many surgeries and I've kind of gotten immunity towards them. But I'm just, you know, taking it one one day, one hour at a time and I know it's gonna get better eventually. Right now, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And you briefly brought this up when you were talking about, you know, dating or being with someone. Mm-hmm. How do you approach dating now on something like this? Obviously, I don't. I, I don't think you. I think maybe your TV dating days are, well, <laughs> are over. But like in in general, um, what is your thought process going forward with that? Well, you know, my, my aim and my goal is no different than what it was three years ago when I originally signed up to be on The Bachelorette. Like, I, I want to be a husband and I want to be a father. Like, there's there's just no way around that. And, you know, it's not like I got out of surgery last Wednesday and as I was in the recovery room, got out my phone and started downloading my Bumble and Hinge and Tinder and all the apps. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, the surgery's behind me. Let's Let's, you know, go at it full force. I think like now where I'm at is I'm just so hyper-focused on the recovery and trying to get my normal functionality and and mobility back that I can start doing things again that I used to love, like jogging and uh, working out at different gyms and going to concerts without being in pain and this and that. So I think the great thing in a weird way about having this amputation is it's going to filter out a lot of the shallow and vain girls that I have typically gone for in the past, because (laughs) you can hide lymphedema pretty well, but you can't hide an amputation. I mean, especially when it's really hot here in Houston, uh, where I live, I I don't anticipate myself wearing pants and jeans every time I, I go out, like I'm going to embrace it. And if anything, it's a conversation starter. And I feel like the type of woman that I will end up with will be very, you know, sympathetic, empathetic, and will be very nurturing and won't see my amputation or my lack of a full leg as, as a burden, but would rather see that as a blessing. And um, I was saying this the other day, you know, with my one-year-old niece who's here in town, she's like the light of my life right now. And just knowing that I'm going to get to raise her and she's going to have exposure to someone with a disability I think that's just going to be an amazing environment for her to grow up and to have that empathy for others. Um, just like I would expect to raise my, my future kids. If that's the path I go for so, sure. If you know any single girls, Steve, in Houston, <laughs> you know, send them my way. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, you talk about the fact that you had to, you know, for the couple months leading into the amputation, you know, get in shape and you're, you're a guy that's always loved to be in shape and an athletic guy. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself now as somebody that's going to be, you know, entering, um, you know, the Paralympics and stuff like that? Is this something that you would strive to do as and set a goal for yourself? One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I think I think you're the only person I've told that to, other than my physical therapist. And I, I may have mentioned it briefly when I was uh, chatting with Tia and Natasha on the Clickbait podcast yesterday, but. 
I, I don't think we did go deep into that, but I'm, I'm glad you asked because that absolutely is one of my uh, goals, uh, especially for basketball, because basketball was something I loved growing up. I played it all my life. I even played my freshman year in college. So when my infections hit and I couldn't even play like intramural adult league, I really did feel like part of me was was gone. So now having this new um, path of life, I, I definitely am going to look into doing Paralympics for for basketball. Which is wheelchair basketball, right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yep. that'll be yep. that'll be inter- that'll be really interesting uh, to to do that and follow that. And I, I and I know that I thought in the past maybe that you were were you a big runner in the past or no? Am I remembering that wrong? No, that that may have been another castmate of mine. Okay. But no, I was I've always been big into basketball, and then I like outdoor stuff like kayaking and, and hiking and stuff like that. But nothing like super competitive. But but yeah, the Paralympics wheelchair basketball is definitely something on my radar. And there's great support groups here in Houston and training facilities here in Houston that all, you know, if, if that all lines up, I'll get to pursue that dream. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I mean, I'd love to follow that as well and see, and, and, and obviously following you and kind of see, I mean, I'm sure you'll post about it and, you know, just that journey of, of getting to that spot. Um, Cause it's, it's a thing and you can certainly be on a, a Paralympic basketball team, and you know win medals and and or even just get to the highest level even competing in it just getting to it because these guys have been doing it you know for a while possibly and i don't even know how it would how it would come across for you to break into that team i don't i don't know how many teams there are out there but to get to the olympic level yeah Yeah, i would think that'd be a goal too but if if i still have my natural basketball talent and obviously the work ethic that's never left me yeah it's just been reapplied for physical therapy versus you know doing jump shots and living above the rim like i used to back in my high school and college days it's definitely going to be an adjustment but for sure i think when you have something to to strive for it makes the recovery process that much more fulfilling when you you have you know the glory which is the other side of pain well, there, it's a, it's an unbelievable story, and, and I'm and I'm I'm glad you shared it with us. And like I said, I think this is going to be. You've already gotten the response, like you said, from so many people, and I hope you get more after this. And and people just see, like you said, it's huge that the word, uh, you know, when it when people Google your name now, this stuff's going to come up as opposed to the Bachelorette stuff and the Bachelor in Paradise stuff, pity, which is, <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's the stuff I want to kind of get into now, because one thing that was sure. really disheartening to hear over the last couple of days, when I was looking at stories about you was you had said that there was nobody from Hannah's season um, that had reached out to you. And, and I find that so, uh, I find it so cold. I so I find it so unbelievable that nobody could, fire you off a text or anything that said hang in there I'm thinking about you man like nothing I mean so I I, can you just kind of tell people again like what happened but because since that story broke apparently there has been somebody that has reached out to you and I I wanted you to to share that with everybody and what and what was said yes So, and here's the other thing, Steve, that was just kind of surprising to me in general is growing up, I've always been a pretty sociable guy. Uh, I went to a high school that had all different socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities and all that stuff. So I've never been 
one to not make friends. And like, matter of fact, like even in the bachelor mansion, my, my time there, I was like the house chef. And beyond that, I was also pretty friendly with most of the guys. I, I think it's once I crashed that one group date that I wasn't invited to, things really started to go downhill for me. Um, but all in all, though, I, I still figured that like none of the guys really had any beef with me because I, I didn't get physical with any of them. I never once said anything bad about any of the guys when I did have some one-on-one time with Hannah. But um, one thing that kind of pissed me off is like right when we were done filming, there was a group text with like, I'd say like maybe 15, 16 of the guys. So not the full 30, but like people who were there basically two weeks or longer. And for whatever reason, Dylan Barber decided to remove me from the group text. And like, that just wasn't a cool move by him. Um, so you were, you were on it too. <laughs> you were on it at one point and then he took uh-huh. you off of it. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, it, it, and really it kind of just felt like, like even beyond that, like the whole bachelor nation just kind of feels like this high school cafeteria. No, oh, for sure. You have your cool kids and the not so cool kids. And the cool kids is all based on the edit and how many followers they have, because what, what their cloud is, is people are like leeches in Nation. They'll leech onto you. They'll pretend to be your friends unless it benefits them in some way. And so I just mostly distance myself from, from most of the nation. Uh, there's a couple people that I do still stay in touch with um, just, you know, sporadically here and there. But especially when my story started going public, um, you know, this past week and a half, it was almost unavoidable that they weren't going to see it. And so it just was still kind of hurtful that none of the guys could have been like, Hey bro, let bygones be bygones. Like this is your actual real life here. And sorry that you're going through that, you know, sending thoughts and prayers. Cause I would have definitely done that if any of my other castmates were going through something like that. But, um, so to answer your question about who did reach out to me. So believe it or not, last night, I did get a really long direct message on Instagram from Hannah Brown herself. And, I got to tell you, it was unsolicited on my part, and I'm not, you know, for privacy purposes, I'm not going to reveal everything she said, but it is exactly what I needed and was the closure and clarity that I've been looking for for like the past three years because I just still feel that my time there was cut short because of what happened with the whole pity rose and me talking about my lymphedema being held against me because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I would have won, I would have beaten jed or or tyler cameron or any of the other top guys but i feel that if han and i at least got a one-on-one date or maybe even just more time together beyond that drama there may have been a deeper connection because i mean obviously she liked me initially i mean i got the first rose before the first impression rose so i went into it honestly really really confident because i was affirmed so early on but when it all just the, the script was flipped and I got sent home that, that night at the, the, the rose ceremony because of the whole pity rose thing. I had never heard from Hannah, like not even at the men tell all, uh, I had missed her in paradise by two days cause I had got sent home from paradise and then she shows up. So I just, I know she's busy living her life and I've been busy living mine, but for her to see what happened, uh, with me in the news and for her to take time, and write me a very long, very thoughtful message uh, was was very therapeutic for me too. So I have nothing but respect for her now. That's good to know, and I'm glad I'm glad she did that. Um, 
That's right, because you were you were one of the five that got brought out when they do that early. Oh, our new bachelorette's yeah. going to meet five of her guys early, and you were one of the exactly. five. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now, for those that don't remember the story of the night you went home, this whole pity rose thing. Refresh people's memory of what happened with that. Yes. I mean, basically the morning of Chris Harrison comes into the mansion and is like, guys, um, instead of a cocktail party, uh, we're going to have a tailgate party because, you know, obviously Hannah went to university of Alabama. Tailgating is really popular at that school. And it's really popular where I went to college and went to Texas A&M. And so I was really excited for, for the tailgate because then after the tailgate, we were going straight into the rose ceremony. And at that point, it was about two and a half weeks in the journey. And I hadn't really gotten, honestly, that much one-on-one time with Hannah, maybe 10 minutes collectively. So it was really heavy on my heart that I needed to talk to her about my lymphedema because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it has impacted some of my past romantic relationships. So I didn't want to waste her time or my time going any further in the journey without being transparent with her. So I pulled her aside and uh, right when the tailgate started and I said, Hey, look, I, I want to be quick with this cause I don't want to be a Debbie downer, but I basically kind of gave her the 10,000 foot view of what lymphedema is, what it's meant to me, all the surgeries I've had. And I was like, look, like I know this is a competition, but you know, I have a completely different strength than some of these younger guys have. And I believe in the sanctity of marriage and especially wedding vows And when you say in sickness and in health, I need to know that that's something that you can uh, live up to because me having the chronic disease of lymphedema, it's, it's something I've had to live with. And I think it's softened my heart to know that if I happen to be with someone who's diabetic or has any other disease or preexisting conditions that require some assistance, I'm going to be like so on board with that just because I know that's what I would want in return for me. And, and Hannah actually received the conversation very well. Unfortunately, what was aired, you didn't even get to hear me talking about lymphedema. It was just this whole discombobulated story about how I almost got my leg amputated and, and really like just the overall editing and the music that was used just was like so hurtful to me looking, looking back at it. Uh, and then 10 minutes after the conversation I had with her, she went and had a conversation with Mike Johnson. And Mike basically told her that I sat all the guys down and I was going to tell her this medical sob story so I could get a pity rose. And A, pity rose never even left my lips. And B, that was just not cool of him to do. And, and Mike and I were actually cool leading up to that conversation. I just still to this day don't know why he felt it was necessary to say what he did. Um, and, you know, I saw him in paradise for like two or three days. We had a little bit of overlap, but didn't mention anything there. Didn't mention anything at the men's tell-alls and hadn't said anything, you know, since then. And I'm not expecting an apology. Um, you know, I think people are going to be disappointed if they go through the life feeling entitled to apologies, but that's just the one individual that really contributed to me being sent home with that whole pity rose story because at that point hannah believed him because she had had more time with him and i guess had a stronger relationship and she basically thought i was lying or was being calculated and so i got sent home later that night and that was that was the edit that was the persona that bachelor nation saw me as and they kind of doubled down on that in paradise it wasn't 
any redemption for me in paradise either, unfortunately. Well, it seems like, and we know now, that the word lymphedema never came out on The nope. Bachelorette season with Hannah. It nope. was never, that that word was never associated with you. And that's just, nope. that's embarrassing for the for the network, for the show itself, for production, because they knew all about what you were suffering through and what you were going through. And for them to not even allow you to tell your story and allow that word to get out, to to at least draw some attention to it, is yeah. uh, it's shameful on their part. And, and Steve, I was like in tears the night before that um, tailgate party, talking to like three different producers to say, hey, like I'm really, really self-conscious about this disease that I have, but I know that it's important. I need to tell her because if I wait and I make it further in the journey and let's say I'm on a group date where they're playing like rugby, which they did uh, later in my in my season, there's no way I could have participated in that because of all the surgeries I had. And to me, it would have felt like it was a lot more calculated if I waited till like day of a group day and I pulled her assignment. Hey, I can't play because I have this rare disease, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I wanted to tell her as soon as I could just so we could address the elephant in the room and then I can move on and let her get to know all the other attributes of me, not just the lymphedema. You know, unfortunately it didn't go down that way. Yeah. And like you said, look, you can't wait, you know, go your whole life hoping for apologies, but, the fact that this has been out there, you know, for at least a week and two weeks by the time this airs, um, the pity rose storyline sucks and you don't even necessarily need someone like Mike Johnson to apologize for that. But again, someone who was responsible for that, who seems to use his persona and pride himself on, Oh, I'm this, I'm a man's man, and didn't he write a book about how to treat a lady and whatever he did? I, you would think that a guy like that who loves to stand behind his word and be a man's man couldn't take the time. The fact that he hasn't taken the time to reach out to you to say anything, I think that shows more about his character than what he says on his podcast or what he says in a book. Yeah, I mean, actions will always speak louder than words. And, you know, I will always respect the fact that Mike is a veteran. I respect all veterans. For sure. And I guarantee you that he's had some of his, you know, comrades that may have lost limbs and, and uh, you know, in, in, in the line of duty. And so that's another reason I think that he should have had a lot more compassion towards me, especially these past two weeks. But again, I'm not crying out for an apology. And at this point, it would probably be a backhanded apology anyway so i'm more than happy with the trajectory of my life and i've got to impact thousands of patients with lymphedema and to me that outweighs any rose or any reality tv show that i'd ever be a part on because i'm helping real people with a real disease and i'm sure like look i'm sure this podcast clip will run it back somehow find its way run back to mike and say reality steve is calling you whatever i don't give a shit at this point like be a man and just – it doesn't even have to be friends. I mean – and I'm not just singling out Mike. I am I said it when we first started this conversation. No guys from your season reached out to you and said no. anything. So no. Mike is part of that. Um, but – so I'm I'm pretty down on 30 men not saying a word to you because that's pretty – that's not pretty shitty. It is shitty. There's no other way around it. I, how, even if they weren't close to you in the house – they went through an experience, 30 of you went through an experience that only you guys can relate to. And whether or not they were close to you in the house or whatever, how hard is it 
to send a DM to say, hey, man, saw your story, just thinking of you. I mean, yep. you, I it's mean, not you, hard at all. It's not hard at all. I did it, and I hadn't spoken to you in a couple of years, but you and I had conversations back years ago, and, you know, I'd always followed and seen stuff with you and, and whatnot, and then, you know, heard about your name through other people. I was like, oh, yeah, Cam's a good guy. I've always been, you know, I've always been cool with him. And then I saw the story. And I reached out to you, and I and I wanted you to come on and, and tell this. But to to hear that none of those guys have said a word to you is, oh my god, it it makes me sick. Like, because it's not. And again, I'm not asking for them to send you a gift. You're not asking for them to send you a gift. No. To just acknowledge what you've been through. I, I don't know. I mean, I it's it's on you guys. It's all it's on you. All Hannah Browns. I can't remember how many men she had, 30 or 35, whatever it was. Every single 30, one of yeah. you should be embarrassed. And if they all do it now, like you said, it's kind of backhanded. It's almost too late now because they know. I, I got to believe that every single one of them have seen the story. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's really uh, frustrating. But I, like you said, you're not going to get down over it. You understand it is kind of what it is. But does it hurt deep down inside? Yeah, it probably does. Like, no, it does. Yeah. It, it is hurtful, but I've I've learned to focus my energy and time on other things. That's why I'm really not involved in Bachelor Nation too much anymore. Because a that was like three years ago, and b I definitely wasn't a, a fan favorite. I guess you could say I was definitely a character. Um, and and I'm not gonna be bitter towards production or towards the franchise because it did give me a platform and an opportunity to do some of the most amazing things I've done in my life. Have been a byproduct of just being exposed out there on on the experience so i'll forever be grateful for the franchise for that but at the same time they need to be held accountable for the way that they treated my disease because it did really give me ptsd that i had to pay a lot of money for therapy and really come to terms with who i am and not abc cam as as the network wanted me to be well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you can say you don't want to call out production, but I certainly will. I mean, we've heard stories through numerous contestants of, you know, getting off the show, dealing with trauma and having to go to therapy and the show. Just, you know, once you're off the show, it's just you're long forgotten uh, by production, especially if you're not somebody that lasted very long on the show. You're just you're just a spoke on the wheel to them. And yep. unfortunately, we've had. People in this uh, people in this franchise that have really hit a low place. Um, there's uh, been some suicides. There's been suicides that you you can say aren't you know the show contributed their their time on the show and the reaction post show contributed. They didn't they didn't commit suicide because of the show, but it certainly was uh, a reason because of things that may have happened after it and. This show has proven time and time again that they don't care about their contestants when the show is over. And, you know, you're going you're gonna to have your other you're, you're going to have your, I don't know, bigger names in the franchise say, oh, yeah, they do. They, you know, they did. Yeah, they gave me a podcast. OK, great. You're one of the few, you know, and I know that a majority of the contestants that go on this show are completely forgotten and treated like crap once they're off. It's just it's fact. Absolutely. You know, yep. and the fact that they can't. You know, there's no, there's nobody for even you to, like you said, you came home from filming Hannah's season and you can't really talk about it because you're under the NDA. So you can't really talk about what happened with friends. You should be able to say, to call back the show and say, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. And 
be in t- and be able to be in touch with somebody post show. And I I know they have a show psychologist, but it doesn't sound like they use them once the show is over. The psychologist is there on set for anything happening well, on show. I think contestants are weary too about using a network appointed therapist because I know there's like confidentiality, but the same time you just never know. Yeah. So if if you have a network who you feel kind of screwed you over, last thing you'd want to do is say, Hey, I'm having mental health issues. Can I please use y'all's therapist? Right. Cause you feel like in some way or capacity that whatever you say, that therapist will somehow make it back to the powers that be. And, and they'll hold that against you. Like there goes paradise because you were complaining about how bad bachelorette or bachelor was. And if you talk to the network psychologist, then, you know, you're basically showing that you're weak. Huh. I mean, and so, then just even that is embarrassing for them that that's the way they've built the fear into, into contestants. It shouldn't, you shouldn't feel that way. I get why you do, but you shouldn't have to feel that way. They should, you know, once you're off the show, somebody should basically sit you down and say, Hey, if you need anything, if the social media aspect of this show is too hard on you, um, or it's getting to you, or you don't know how to deal with it, by all means, reach out to us and we can help in some way. And they just don't, they don't care. And it's, it's, it's really shameful and it, it sucks. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. The show has been on, you know, 46 seasons now or whatever it is. And the stories from past contestants, I'm sure you've spoken to plenty of them. I've heard from them, the things that they've been told to say and do and, the way a produ- producer, you know, gas them up for everything and, oh, this is going to be great for you. And then, oh, you're gone. And, uh, you know, they don't have time for you anymore. It's just like, hey, Cam, Hannah's so excited to see you. I know you haven't gotten a one on one yet, but hey, we'll get you a car and you can go surprise her on a group date you weren't invited to. Sounds like a great idea, right? Right, right. And I'm like, yeah, sure does. <laughs> Yeah. And that was the beginning of the end. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing that's really disappointing, Steve, is just this, like, whole thing that the network wants to be about, diversity and inclusion. Well, I think diversity and inclusion doesn't need to be just limited to ethnicity or sexual orientation. Yeah. They need to have more people with disabilities, right? Like, that's a minority, technically. And if we're saying that, well, now I'm, I'm amputated, but then someone like Sarah had her disability – the only other contestant that comes to mind is like Abigail with her um, hearing. Uh, I believe she's deaf. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, can you think of any other contestants, let alone ones who made it far that had some sort of disability? Probably not. No. No, I mean, I, I think the other thing is, I mean, you could talk about this show promoting diversity, but let's face it, this show didn't promote diversity until 2020 when it became uh, a national issue because yep. they, they were almost forced to because of how much shit they were getting from the public and oh wow that's funny right a week after or two weeks after george floyd happens they announced their first black bachelor you know six months or four months before they start filming it it's like oh okay we get it mm-hmm. you know let's let's not make a mistake they care about diversity in about as mi- minimally as they can um and it was because they were forced to. So I don't give them any credit for that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad that they are continuing it, and we do see more diverse casts. But let's let's go back to 2020 when that became a thing for them, and why they almost were forced to. Why, you know, uh, the batch diversity campaign that started on Instagram, which got a lot of run and uh, and called them out. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, they're doing they're doing probably the bare minimum uh, they can right now, and you know, it does. It does suck. But, you know, your story, I hope, you know, continues to resonate with people. And 
like I said, to have you on and to share your side and kind of everything that you've had to go through, uh, the, the physical side of it. And then I'm sure a lot of people didn't know those in these last 20 minutes, the, the TV side of it about how it was portrayed, because like I said, it was three years ago. It was probably, Oh yeah, I kind of remember that guy and, or whatever, but the whole pity Rose thing and hearing that nobody from your season has reached out to you, you know, I, I hope that resonates with people and, 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 makes you look at people from this franchise uh, a, a little bit differently. And, um, but I can't, I can't, again, I can't thank you enough, Cam, uh, for coming on and sharing this. You're a brave guy, and the work that you're going to do um, for lymphedema patients is, it's already, it's already doing great work based on the response that you've gotten, but I, I only know it's going to get even bigger and bigger. Yeah, and one and one quick last plug here. So we were yeah. actually in the process of filming a documentary about my whole journey with the amputation. So we've been doing all the pre-surgery filming for the past month and a half, and uh, we pick up filming again starting next week as I start physical therapy. So I'll obviously be posting about that on my social media channels. But yeah, we have a whole production team putting that together. So hopefully that's another piece that can inspire and encourage people religious and non-religious alike to just you know put the work in and no matter what hand you're dealt if you work hard and you're a believer or even not a believer but you have something to believe in then you can you can triumph over whatever tragedy is thrown your way yeah no i you know thank you for bringing that up i had that in my notes and i totally forgot about it that there was a documentary that like you said was being filmed pre uh surgery and now post-surgery is this going to be something that's going to be that you would release on a YouTube channel or is this going to be something on a, on a, on a streaming service or you're well, you pitching know, so it? it all kind of depends. Um, so the producer, the executive producer, Julie, she's great. She actually used to be a producer on the Oprah show. So she has a lot of experience in, in the camera crew. There's guys who used to work in Hollywood. So the, the quality of it I know is going to be amazing. And so we're still determining like the best way to distribute it. Because I think initially we want to enter it into all the film festivals mm. um, like they've done with their previous documentary. They just wrapped up. And then from there, we'll either put it on a YouTube page or if a streaming platform picks it up, then we'll have it on there. But I'll, I'll be sure to communicate all those updates on my channel. So just stay tuned for that. And now is where the real rubber hits the road because, you know, a documentary is very different than a feature film because we just don't know how this is going to end. Uh, we don't know what you know, road bumps I'm going to have in my recovery or, or what triumphs are going to happen. But my, my final milestone I will say is uh, in September 20th, I have booked my ticket and I'm going to be seeing Lauren Daigle, who's like my celebrity crush uh, at Red Rocks in Denver. So that's my little celebration of my first concert to see with, with the new, with the new leg and the new life. So Hopefully that'll be something to, to celebrate. Well, that's great. I mean, that, that'll be awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow it. And obviously when the documentary comes out, by all means, I will be linking to it and, and informing people about it. So looking forward to that. But again, Cam, I can't thank you enough. Uh, just what you've been through. You're a strong guy and hang in there. Uh, keep plugging here and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all be following and uh, good luck to you in, in the future. I appreciate it, brother. You have a great rest of your day. You got it. All right. See ya. Bye. Thanks. Well, thank you so much uh, to Cam for coming on, sharing his story. I hope you all appreciated that. We recorded that last Friday, uh, July 1st. So as I said in the podcast, if guys from his season have reached out to him since then, 
seems a little backhanded. Story's been out there over a week. Hannah Brown reached out to him, you know, unannounced, or he didn't reach out to her, and, you know, he didn't have to share what she said to him, but listening to what he said, we can probably have an idea of what she said, but the fact that she took the time, like, that's what I said. How hard is it to take the time to reach out to him? Even if you weren't close to Cam on the show, you were on the show with him. Guy lasted two or three weeks. Be like, hey, man, thinking of you, saw your story, and um, I hope you're, I, I, you know, I hope you're getting through this. And just anything. The fact that he said he heard from Hannah Brown and it was almost the closure that he needed and he felt it was exactly what he needed just goes to show. Now, yeah, if all 30 guys from her season all of a sudden send Cam a DM, will it mean as much? No, it won't. But I really think that 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 kind of shows a lot about some of these characters that characters, contestants that a lot of you, um, you know, a lot of the fan base puts up on a pedestal and actions do speak louder than words. And. I, I can't tell you. I mean, I wasn't even on the show, and clearly I wasn't. <laughs> and I took the time to reach out to Cam. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that not one guy sent him anything. I mean, how shitty is that? I, I, I'm bothered by it. These guys should feel ashamed of themselves. And like I said, you do it now, it's like, okay, great. You're doing it now because you were called out for it, but you just you just feel like how how do you not send that to a guy that you went through an experience with? So anyway, you know, I, I hope a lot of people, you know, don't, you know, run and make this a thing of like, oh, Hey, Mike, you know, Reality Steve's calling you out. In a sense, I am, but I'm also calling out everybody on her season. But Mike, who's got a plat- who's got a platform, has a podcast, likes to position himself as, you know, man's man. And how about sending a text, Mike? Thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review in uh, Apple Podcasts. It is much appreciated. And we'll be back next week with yet a uh, another podcast as we slowly approach 300 podcasts. Yikes. That's a lot. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, for Kamayala, I'm Reality Steve. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>